After Joshua died, the Israelites began to worship other gods. Because of this, God caused them to lose their battles and become slaves of other nations. Each time this happened, God would raise up one man or woman called a judge to help the Israelites escape. But after each escape, Israel would go back to their old ways, not living how God had told them to live. Then they would lose another battle and fall back into slavery. This cycle happened over and over again. At one point, the Israelites were enslaved in a country called Midian. They cried out to God for rescue, and God sent an angel to a man named Gideon to help them. God told Gideon the only way to beat the Midianites was to send only a small number of soldiers, just 300. So, in the middle of the night, the 300 soldiers came to the edge of the Midianite camp, blew their trumpets all at once, and smashed jars with torches in them. The incredible sight and sound this made confused and terrified the Midianites so much they began to kill one another. Gideon and the Israelites chased the remaining Midianites and killed them all. After this battle, Israel enjoyed 40 years of peace. But when Gideon died, the Israelites went back to their old ways, worshiping other gods. So they were captured by the Philistines. God sent another judge named Samson. Samson had long hair and was incredibly strong. At one point, he actually killed a wild lion with his bare hands, tearing it to pieces. The Philistine leaders were afraid of Samson because of his incredible strength. So they came up with a plan. They knew Samson had fallen in love with a woman named Delilah, so they paid her to find out the secret behind his superhuman strength. After much convincing, Samson revealed that his long hair made him strong. Soon after, while Samson was sleeping, Delilah led the leaders into his room and they cut off his hair. With his strength gone, the Philistines gouged his eyes out and threw him in prison. While there, his hair grew back and his strength began to return. One day, while the Philistines were partying, they took Samson out of prison, forcing him to perform in front of them in their palace. While standing between two pillars, Samson prayed that God would give him strength. Then. He placed his hands on the pillars and shook them until the roof of the palace completely caved in, killing all the Philistines as well as himself. After Samson's death, the Israelites' pattern of disobedience continued, and God would need to look outside of Israel for someone who would follow God's ways. It's been said that back in the 1850s, there was a sign at the beginning of the Oregon Trail that said, choose your next rut carefully. You'll be in it for the next 1,800 miles. I don't know if that's true or not. For those of us who are children of the 80s, that sign probably should have said, don't die of dysentery. That's what always got me when I was playing the Oregon Trail back on my old Apple IIe. Choose your next rut carefully. You'll be in it for the next 1,800 miles. About 3,400 years ago, there should have been a sign just outside the promised land as the Israelites were getting ready to enter that said something like, 
choose your next rut carefully, you'll be stuck in it for the next 400 years. Because after Joshua led Israel into the promised land and defeated the enemies, well, they defeated most of them, and Joshua died, then the people got stuck. Over and over and over again, they got stuck in sin. If we're honest, we do the same thing, don't we? We could use our own sign, choose your next rut carefully, you may be in it the rest of your life. I went for a haircut this week. I don't know how they do it in the beauty salons, but in the barber shop that I go to, you sit down, face in the mirror, and you have a little discussion about what they want to do with your hair, what you want to do, how they're going to do it, and then what do they do next after they have that conversation with you? What do they do? They, they turn you around so that you can't see what they're about to do to you. Again, I don't know if this is the way it works in the beauty shops or not, but in, in, in the lower class barber shops where I go to, that's what they do. Do you know why they turn you around? It's so you won't be able to see how bad things get before they make it better. Because things have to get worse before they get better. And if they, if they were let you sit that, you might just get up in the middle of your haircut and leave and think, you know, I can do better than this on my own. Church, the Bible is no barber shop. There's no point in the Bible where it turns you around and says things are about to get ugly. We're just going to skip this moment in history. In fact, if anything, when things get ugly, that's when the Bible zooms in. The Bible is not rated PG. The Bible shares all of its gory details, some of the things that are difficult to believe in, some of the things that are difficult to, to understand how people went through them. The Bible zooms in and shows us in deep detail. And that's what happens as we go into week 8 of the story and the book of Judges. If you don't have a copy of the story that we're reading through, we have several copies available out on the table for free in the back on your right-hand side. We'd love for you to have one. If you're falling a little bit behind on your reading, that's okay. I promise you, you're not alone in that. If you're getting ahead in your reading, well, you might be alone in that, but that's okay. Just go back and read it again. That's okay. And we're continuing our sub-series called On the Move, where we talk about Israel in transition from, from being slaves in Egypt to being people in the promised land, God's people in the promised land. And as we look at this, what happens today is that we find ourselves in a real mess. The book of Judges is one big mess after another. I could spend my time talking to you about the heroes in the book of Judges and how flawed they are, but there's something bigger at work here in the book that we cannot miss. It's this cycle that we see over and over again in the book of Judges. It's referred to as the sin cycle, and it's very ugly. Here's a sample of what happens in the book of Judges. We're going to zoom in here today on Judges chapter 3, verses 7 and following. And here we see the start of the sin cycle. It says, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God, and they served the Baals and the Asherahs. So here's what we have first, is that Israel turns from God and serves idols. Israel turns away from God and serves idols. Why did they do this? Because they weren't out facing the battles anymore. They weren't out depending upon God for their daily bread, and they got comfortable. And do you know what? We get comfortable too, don't we? 
And when we get comfortable, we lose our sense of dependence upon God. And we become, we become settlers in the wrong sense of the way. You remember a couple of years ago, there was that DirecTV commercial where they had the settler family? There was a family that lived in the middle of the suburbs, but they lived as if it was the 1850s, out farming with horses in the front yard. They were the settler family. And, of course, they had direct TV, or they had cable instead of direct TV, which was their cardinal sin in this commercial. But part of their tagline was, don't be a settler. Get rid of cable and switch to direct TV. But one of the clear messages that we see in the book of Judges is this. Don't be a settler. Get rid of comfort and switch to a life of faith. Church, we cannot be settlers of the faith thinking that we have somehow arrived or that this is all we need is our faith as it is right now. We must continually be growing in our faith, growing deeper. Because when we settle, we turn from God and serve idols. And then step two in the sin cycle happens. In Judges 3.8, it says, The anger of the Lord burned against Israel, so that he sold them into the hands of Cushan, Rishthim, which is probably not the correct pronunciation, but we're going with it, king of, Nahir, of Aram, uh, Naharim, to whom the Israelites were subject for eight years. And so here we see the second step. After step one, where Israel turns from God and serves idols, so number two is that God turns Israel over to the oppressive surrounding nations. These enemies were called raiders, not to be confused with the Las Vegas raiders, who come into their lives and raise havoc. And God allows them to happen to them. And He allows them to happen to us as well. And I just wonder, what kind of raiders have come into your life to wreak havoc? Because you've, you've willfully walked away from God. Because you've chosen to disobey Him in an area of your life. Because you've chosen idolatry or sin over finding peace in Him. There's some good news here because we see that God doesn't merely get mad at people, but that even His discipline is done out of His love for us. Did you know that? Some of what God's letting you go through because of your own sin is because He loves you and He wants you to see how lost you are without Him. And He wants you to know that His love is around the corner waiting for you. And so in the next verse, we see what happens in verses 3 and 4. After Israel turns from God and serves idols, and after God turns Israel over to the oppressive surrounding nations, it says in verses 9 and 11, But when they cried out to the Lord, He raised up for them a deliverer, Othanel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. You remember Caleb, right? Who, served them, who saved them. The Lord, Spirit of the Lord came on him, so that he became Israel's judge and went to war. The Lord gave him Cushan Rishthim, king of Aram, into the hands of Othanel, who overpowered him. So the land had peace for 40 years until Othanel, son of Kenaz, died. So here we see the sin cycle in Judges number three is that Israel turns to God and cries out for help. Israel turns to God and cries out for help. Today is more than just Halloween. I don't know if you know what else is happening today. But today is Reformation Sunday. Today is the day when back in, was it 1517 or 1519? I can't remember. Where Martin Luther went and took his 95 thesis and knocked on the church door at Wittenberg and said, Trick or treat, <laughs> I've got 95 tricks for you. 
You know, we know about that story, and we know what's happened as a result with the whole Protestant Reformation that's happened uh, around the world and how uh, even reforms happened within the Catholic Church. All those things happened for good. And I believe that Martin Luther was kind of a modern-day example of, of, of a judge who God rose up. But do you know what else I believe? I believe that in this cycle is that it's with people who cried out to God for help and I would almost bet that there are people, excuse me, there were people in Martin Luther's day who were crying out to God for reform in the church. People who were crying out for the church to be all that it could be, for the people of God to serve God faithfully. And I believe that God answered those prayers through the Reformation. But I just want to ask you, who are the people today who will cry out to God for reform in our churches and in our communities and in our families? Who are the people today who would cry out to God and be those prayer warriors that we so desperately need? To cry out to God for God to bring the change in our land that we so deeply need. That we would be able to remove the idols that we've become so dependent upon and that we would trust in Him. So step three is that Israel turns from God and, or turns to God and cries out for help. And then finally, in step four, was what we saw happen here with Othniel, where God raises up a judge to deliver them. And do you want to know how long it takes God to raise up a deliverer when we repent? Well, in the book of Judges, it happens immediately, at least at first. For the first four times that this happens, we see God immediately raises up a judge for them in the text. But the fifth time it happens in chapter 10, we see that it takes a little more time. In fact, God tells them, you know, why don't you just ask your own gods for help? You know, the gods that you've been worshiping all this time. God gets a little sassy with them. And you know what? I wonder if the same thing happens with us. As we grow in our faith, we ought to be getting more dependent upon God and more faithful to Him. And sometimes He lets us suffer a little longer. Sometimes He lets us go through mess. Now, I want to be very clear to you, just because you're suffering in life doesn't mean that you've done something wrong. In fact, often the opposite is true, where we suffer for doing what is good. But there are times where we suffer the direct consequences of our own sin. And we need to recognize that we are caught in our own sin cycle. Our sin cycle is similar to that of the judges. First, we sin. Secondly, there are God-ordained consequences. Third, we repent. Fourth, God delivers us. Well, you would think that after three or four times, they got the hint. Israel got the hint and stopped sinning, right? No. What we see happen in the book of Judges is that 12 times this sin cycle happens. But this sin cycle is no spin cycle where they get clean every time. But what happens is that this, spin, this sin cycle becomes a sin spiral where each time things get a little worse and a little worse and a little worse and a little worse until when we find at the end of the book it's an absolute disaster. The reality is, is the judges worked about as well as a lot of my New Year's Eve diet plans have. They worked for a little while, for a few weeks maybe, and then I just came back a little chunkier than I was last year. Any of the rest of you have that problem? 
I won't call you out, I promise. Don't get me wrong, there's some cool heroic stories in the book of Judges. We've got Ehud, one of the first judges, who was the left-handed judge, who went to meet with the oppressive king of Moab who had been oppressing the Israelites. And this king was so overweight that Ehud took his knife and stabbed him up underneath his belly. And his belly just absorbed the knife so that people didn't even know he was dead. Ehud leaves the grounds. People just thought that he was going, the king was going to the bathroom, and he wasn't. He had been stabbed to death. There's Deborah, the female judge who led the entire nation of Israel, probably the finest example of faithfulness that we see in the book of Judges. And then there was a lady named Jael, J-A-E-L, not J-A-I-L, who wound up taking out the invading army's commander with a tent peg to the forehead. Now that's a resourceful Proverbs 31 woman right there if I've ever seen one. But it also has some very flawed individuals, even Gideon and Samson, who we talked about in the video. Gideon, whose name means valiant warrior. When God calls him, he's literally hiding scared in a valley. And Samson, the mighty warrior who was extremely flawed with his ego and with his, with his, uh, with his perversion, his sexual perversion, here we see him being one of the judges that God's used. The thing is, though, is that each of these problems never needed to happen if only the people would have chosen to be faithful. As sin cycles happen in cultures, there's this problem of communal sin. And this problem of communal sin, it starts with desensitization, where we get desensitized to sin we, don't, we start calling sin by different names. We start seeing things that maybe would have been sinful otherwise in Scripture, and all of a sudden it's not anymore. From there it goes to progression, where things that we would have thought shameful 10 or 20 years ago are now commonly accepted. Then it moves from there to a lack of communal moral standards, where everybody just does whatever they want to do, and we're all supposed to be okay with it. And then finally is religious confusion that happens where nobody knows who God is anymore because the standards have been so blurred. Does any of this sound familiar to you? Church, our culture is lost in a sin cycle right now. And we as the church must be the people who cry out to God for help, who cry out to God for Him to deliver us. And we must be the ones who go first and confess our own sin. And who are willing to walk faithfully with Him no matter what our culture does or does not do. Just to make sure we didn't miss the point of how bad things have gotten in the book of Judges and this sin cycle that has become a sin spiral. The book of Judges concludes with a brutal rape and murder of a concubine her dismemberment, where her body parts are sent out to each of the 12 tribes of Israel, which led to a civil war where Israel destroyed the city of Gibeah, one of their own cities, killing 25,000 Benjamites. And then they went ahead and felt bad about that, so they got the remaining Benjamites who were still alive. They said, well, we need to get them some wives. And so they went and raided wives from another one of their village, 
women from another one of their village, and they gave them to the Benjamites in order to, to marry. They forced them to marry into that. The point is clear. The judges are not enough. The people who have been acting as judges, they need someone greater than this. And seemingly, there's no answer in the book. For the first 20 chapters, this spiral just keeps on and on and on, and it just keeps on going down further and further and further, and to the point it gets to the very last verse. And in 21:25 of the book of Judges, we see the author of the book of Judges almost doing a mic drop and walking off. Because he gives this line that is just so fitting and so piercing to, you, to those who have been reading the book. And here's what he says. He says, in those days, Israel had no king. And everyone did as they saw fit. In those days, Israel had no king and everyone did as they saw fit. Church, we are who we are when we don't have a king. I'm not talking about King George going back to the colonial days. And I'm not talking about the next elephant or donkey or independent to rise up, thinking that they might be a deliverer for us. What I'm saying is we don't just need a king. We need the king. The reality is, is that even when King David led Israel, he was a flawed king who was a blessing to the country in some ways, but a ruin to the country in other ways. Church, God has given us more than just a king. He has given us the king of kings. We don't just need a king, church. We need the king of kings. There is only one king who can forever break the sin cycle that has kept us captive for so long. And what we believe is that God did send the king to us, but that king did not come in a chariot or a palace, but he came in a stable and a manger. And that God did send the king to us, but he didn't come with a sword in his hand, but he came to bring peace. And that God did send the king to us, but he didn't teach us how we should defeat our enemies, but rather he taught us how we should love our enemies to the fullest degree. And that God did send the king to us, but he did not come to oppress us with a greater weight upon our shoulders, but he came to take the weight of sin and death off of our shoulders and carry it on, our own, and on his own. God did send the king to us, but Philippians tells us that the king that God sent did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing, that our king humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross, and therefore God exalted our king to the highest place and gave him the name above every name, that at the name of this king every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess and acknowledge that this king is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Church, we have a king, and his name is Jesus Christ. Now let him break the sin cycle in your life. And may we go live like the king that we serve. Father, thank you for sending us more than a judge. Thank you for sending us your son. We recognize that without you, we are a hot mess. 
that we are just absolutely up a creek without a paddle. But with you, Jesus, we can break free from sin and death. And we can live the lives that you have created us to live. Jesus, we declare that you are the King. And we confess to you how often we have followed other kings, how we have made for ourselves our own idols in our materialistic culture. Forgive us and heal us. Jesus, we look to you, the King who has defeated both sin and death, who has removed the weight from our shoulders. And we trust in you today, and we pray that you do what only God can do in our lives. Send us, Lord, to be your messengers. Send us to be your Martin Luther. Send us to be your representatives of the one true King. We love you and thank you in Christ's name. Amen. If you are a guest with us today, we want to thank you for worshiping with us. It's been a joy to have you. If you would like to connect with us at a deeper level, we would love to make that connection with you. You can come see me after the service, or you can always go to ecc.life and fill out a communication card where you can share with us your prayer requests or your desire to get plugged in or just to find out more about the church. That's at ecc.life. And if you've come prepared to give an offering today, you can do so. Uh, you can either use the buckets that are at the doors here, or you can go online at our website, eastpointchristian.com, and you can give online if you would like to do so. I want to let you know about a few things that we have going on. First, tonight here at the church, we have an event called Truth or Treat. This is for elementary students to come and to be able to share. There will be sugar involved, I hear. So you can, uh, they can come at 6 p.m. tonight to the Truth or Treat event here at the church. We look forward to seeing you. As we get ready to really wrap up the year, today's the last day in October, and I know it seems like we've got a lot of year left, but it all goes quick from here on out, doesn't it? Um, we want to do our year-end challenge for you, our year-end generosity challenge for our community and for the missions we support. And so this year, we are calling it, we're going to do it in the month of November, and we are calling it the Turkey Trio. The Turkey Trio consists of three different things, shop, bring, and give. Say those three things with me. Shop, bring, and give. All right, first of all, shop. This is easy enough, isn't it? But what we want you to do is we want you to come to the church this Friday evening. We have several fair trade vendors set up this Friday evening where you can buy your Christmas gifts right here and not have to worry about whether they get stuck in a, in a boat in L.A.'s harbor beyond Christmas time. Not only that, but you'll be helping to serve those who are in need, those who are getting a fair wage for their, for their uh, craftsmanship. Uh, so come here Friday evening from 5 to 9 p.m., and you'll be able to see uh, some of the fair trades that we have going on that's going to be um, supporting uh, the, uh, the sex trafficking workshop that we are doing on Saturday, but more about that in a second. So that is shop. Come here Friday evening from 5 to 9. Bring. On the table on your way out, you Notice that we have a Thanksgiving set up out there with some pumpkins and some little tags on top of the pumpkins. You can take those tags and they're food items that you can bring back to the church between on, on Sundays, uh, the next weekend or the weekend after. And those are going to be supplies that we give out and our Thanksgiving meals to help those who are in need, who can't afford Thanksgiving in our community. 
That's something that the youth does each year, and we're going to be participating in it as well. So that's what you can bring. The final challenge is called give. Say give with me. That's the green stuff, all right? Uh, And as you walk out today, you'll notice that there's a Christmas tree on your left out there. And on that Christmas tree are red envelopes with different dollar amounts and $25 increments. We partner with an organization called True International, and they work with some of the 400,000 street kids. That's homeless children in Nairobi, Kenya. And what they do is they do amazing work to help these kids get off the street, get into a home, and then get an education so that they can go be leaders in their community. Over the next several weeks, I'll be sharing with you their stories, some of their stories. But what you can do is you can pay for a full week of education. That's education and room and board for only $25 for a street kid that's in need, that, is being, uh, that has already gone through a couple years of discipleship and is now back in school. And so we would love for you to do that. You can do that uh, through the red envelopes. You can just bring those back and put them in the offering plates. You can take one of those back there on the back, depending on which dollar amount you want to give. Or you can also go to our website, eastpointchristian.com, and there is an opportunity to designate giving uh, towards that to help street kids who are in need. So that is your Shop, Bring, and Give Challenge. We're going to be talking about that all month long, but that's something that we want to really celebrate this month as we celebrate how thankful we are for what God has done in our lives and for us and for our community. Last thing I want to share with you is that this Saturday we do have the anti-human trafficking event that we're hosting at our church through the organization Until All Are Set Free. And that is coming up this Saturday. You can find more information about it at eastpointchristian.com. Uh, we have a tremendous speaker coming in from Haiti who is just going to absolutely uh, to blow our minds with what's going on that's good in the community uh, in order to help combat against anti-human, or combat human trafficking in our community and in our world. So we invite you to go on our website and find out more about that. Or if you want some more information, just ask us and we'd be more than happy to share with you our hearts for that. Why don't you stand with me, if you would, and let me just give you a blessing as you go. May you recognize the power that is in the blood of Jesus to break the sin cycle in your life, and may you go transformed to live the life that God has called you to live. Amen.